0: Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 17. We'll just read a a few passages there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance and uh, ing- ignorance is that is in them because of the hardness of their heart and they have and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness but you have not learned Christ in this way let's go to the Lord of Prayer Father, we pray that You would bless Your Word. We thank You so much for Your Word and its influence in our life. Now, Lord, prepare our hearts to receive Your Word and and respond to Your Word appropriately. Uh, Father, what a, what a wonderful thing, what a beautiful thing it is for Your people to gather together and worship You and spend time in Your Word. May this be a, a profitable time we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, a couple weeks ago, I started just a mini-series, just a little bit of a break from Revelation, the book of Revelation. I just want to emphasize the church. I want to just bring some attention and kind of focus our mind on the church. And there's no better place to do that than in the book of Ephesians. The whole book is geared around the church. Paul starts, though, with our individual blessings that we have been blessed. In chapter 1, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Chapter 2, we have been made alive with Christ. Talking about our individual salvation. Now, that's where a lot of people want to stay. They just want to say, well, I'm just a Christian. Doesn't The church doesn't really have anything to do with me. But that is not true because you come to chapter 3. In chapter 3, if you remember last time, Paul mentions, he starts off by talking about how God has commissioned him to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. You say, well, that's not the church. Yes, it is. When Paul preached the gospel, he just spread out that seed of the gospel and watered that seed. And then all of a sudden you have green popping up where there was once desert, where there was once nothing. Now there's green, there's life. And Paul would go from city to city and all of a sudden he was just preaching the gospel and all of a sudden within that city there would be a church, there would be a group of believers there that would have something in common and that something in common was their own salvation. And what united in, we see in chapter 4 in Ephesians, this is just a review, but chapter 4 he talks about our unity around God. God has worked in our heart. We have that salvation. And we're strong by that unity. That's our strength in the church. But he also says that we have diversity in verse 11. We're we're diverse. We have differing gifts. And God has given us differing gifts in order order that we may grow, that we may minister to one another, that we may disciple one another, if you will. And it's for the church gathered together for the equipping of the saints in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work and service of the building with the body of Christ. That's the point. That's the point. The Church comes together We build one another up, the teaching of the Word of God builds us up, and then we go out for ministry. That's the pattern, the New Testament church. Now, if you look down to verse 17, the passage that I just read to you, Paul gives us something else here. He's saying that church, those distinctions, that unity and that distinctions, the difference of gifts, that makes us strong, but it also makes us distinct from the world. And what I was pointing out last time is the world, just by gathering together, does not make up the church. The church has to be made up of saved individuals. It has to be made up of individuals that have been regenerated. There's a distinction, a difference about their life, and Paul goes into that, and that's what we just read. In fact, he's, he's, look at this just quickly. I just want to look at this verse Verse 17, he says that these we don't walk like the Gentiles. We don't carry our life like the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. And we have had a mind that's been renewed. Our mind is renewed and our mind is being renewed. It's a constantly being renewed. and We don't fall back into that futility of mind like the Gentiles, like the unsaved. Then, number two, their understanding is darkened. Ours is not. We are living by the truth. We are living by the light of the truth. We are, have been exposed to that truth and we live in light of that and it's, it's our walk. We walk differently from the world. And then excluded from the life of God, he says. Excluded from the life of God. They're detached. We are attached to the life of God. God is, God is our life giver. He is the one producing this life in us. And then they are callous he says, insensitive to God. We are soft toward God. We are soft to the things of God. We're sensitive to the things of God. So that makes us distinct, okay? It's our salvation. It makes us distinct from the world. Paul said we should walk consistently with that distinction from the world. We are distinct from the world and we we should let that be known. Now, the church then is made up of different individuals. We're not the same as the world. Like I said, you can't just gather people together and say, well, that's a church. It's not a church. Saved individuals make up a church. People who have been genuinely regenerated, distinct, different. God has worked in their life. So ultimately what makes us different is our own salvation. Okay. So we've been focusing on, it's a study of a church, but we cannot study the church without focusing on, on our own salvation. What makes us a church? What makes us a church? We know that it's not the building, right? We've already de- determined that. The church is not the building. Well, I go to Daniel's Bible Church, and that's at, uh, 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 1531 or 15, what is it, 1531 Ritter Drive. Is that what it is? What was it, Dave? 1351. <laughs> I'm dyslexic. Yeah, I was was going to the wrong church. (laughs) Now, it's not the church building. It's made up of people, right? And we all agree to that. And the thing is, it's not just made up of ordinary people. It's not just made up of anybody, it's made up of believers. Now, we, we likened it to a, a cake, a birthday cake. If you're making a birthday cake, you use the right ingredients. You don't use the ingredients of a, a house to build a birthday cake, and you don't use the ingredients of a birthday cake to build a house. If you're going to build a church, you have to start with the right ingredients, and the right ingredients is saved individuals. Or you're not really functioning like a, a New Testament church is to function. It has to be with regenerated people, people that are saved. Now, we were looking at 16 different elements. Now, I'm not going to go through 16 different elements today. We've already seen six of them last time. We only want to look at one uh, because I want to try to keep this time brief. We'll just look at one. The, The first six, let me just review these quickly. The first one is election. That's talking about God has chosen us. For some reason, we don't know why, God has shed his light upon us that we responded to the gospel, that we received the gospel, and that's called election, God's choosing of us. And that essentially makes us distinct from the world. That alone makes us stand out from the world. Then then number two, we saw the, the term, the one word, atonement, atonement. That is just Christ's sacrifice for us. Now, how does that relate to us? Is because that brings sobriety to our life. That's a soberness. God means business. God is serious about this, enough that He sent His Son to die His blood was shed for us. And then propitiation is another term that we looked at. And that's this: the wrath of God has been turned away from us. God's wrath is no longer on us. And so we that applies to us is that we we have a sense of relief about us. There's a sense of joy because of that wrath of God being turned away. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus to those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, Number four, we have uh, been called, effectual calling. Individually then, each one of you, is a trophy of God's grace. It's a trophy of God's grace. God has chosen you. He has called you, given you a, an invitation to come to Him. An invitation. He has drawn you. Essentially, we're trophies of God's grace. We each one have a, a testimony. Number five, we are regenerate. The church is made up of born-again people, regenerated people who are have new life, And that means for us, we are a people who are alive spiritually, and that means that we have a hunger for God's Word, a hunger for God's people, We love for God's people. We desire to please God. That's us. We desire to please God. It's important for us to live to the glory of God. And then, number six, we looked at faith, supernatural trust in God. In spite of the circumstances of our life, we are people who trust God. We just trust God. It's a simple thing, but it's called saving faith. And that makes us distinct from the world. Now, I want us to look just briefly at the term repentance. Okay, repentance. Now, one of the verses that should come to to mind when you think of repentance, the verse when Christ said that there's rejoicing in heaven when what? When one sinner repents. When there's one person that turns his life from following himself, following Satan, following his own sinfulness, to turn and following God, there's rejoicing in heaven. Now, that term then, in that, in used in that, is synonymous with our own salvation. It's talking about our salvation, that turning, that repenting. And that's exactly what repentance is. It's a change of mind a change of mind. So it starts in the mind, but it also causes us to change the direction of our life. Now if it's in your mind, but it doesn't work its way out in your life, that's not genuine repentance. That's not the kind of repentance that we talk about. It has to redirect your life. Now there's three interesting facts, just quickly, three interesting facts about repentance. Number one, now this is just interesting stuff that found in Scripture about repentance. Number one, It's both a command and it's also a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And you need to see that. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're commanded to repent. We're commanded to repent. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, the church began to discover that. Uh, And they begin to preach. Paul began to preach this. This is a sermon on Mars Hill. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God has been patient with you because of the ignorance. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. It's a command. God commands us to repent. He commands us to repent. But turn over Acts chapter eleven. Acts chapter eleven, we see something different. Acts chapter eleven, verse eighteen. When they heard this, they quietened down and glorified God. Now that's a seems to be a contradiction today. They quietened down and glorified God. Boy, our glorifying God is just a completely different idea than that. But they quietened down and they glorified God. And here's what they were saying. They're saying, "Well then." God has granted to the Gentiles also that repentance, or also the repentance that leads to life. God has granted even to Gentiles. Now that was a shock to the Jews. It was a shock to the Jews. But he said, even, God has even granted the Gentiles to be, be able to repent. Uh, It's both a, a gift from God. God grants that, but it's also a command. We're commanded. Now, let me show you the tension here in scripture. Christ came down he says uh, in um, Matthew chapter 9 Christ came to call people to repentance but here's the deal people didn't repent people don't don't repent they should repent they should repent i mean logically when you think about it when we're exposed to our own sinfulness and what god is going to do about our sinfulness our own judgment then we should you would logically think people are going to repent But in spite of God's patience, in spite of God's loving kindness, in spite of God's goodness, in spite of the miracles that we've seen in Scripture, in spite of God's chastening us and His judgment, His looming judgment over this, the wicked don't repent. They don't repent. We're called to repent, but we don't repent. The problem is that we think that we're good. We think that we're good enough. We're like... And I've used this illustration before: fish that, that uh, don't know they're wet. Do fish know they're wet? We have a, a fish tank. We have to put water in that tank because the water goes, the water level goes down. The, the, but the, the fish, I never see them. Uh, well, sometimes I see them floating on top, but that's not a good thing. <laughs> they're not floating on there They're not out in the air saying, "Oh, I don't like that water. I feel wet." They don't know they're wet, right? We are sinful people. We don't even know how sinful we are. That's the problem. It takes God working in our heart. And we find in, in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He convicts us. If the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us, folks, we would never see it. We would be blind. So we're both commanded to repent. Well, let me show you one other verse in 2 Timothy. This is such a good verse for the church to know. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. Says this with gentleness, and this is the way we deal with unsaved people that are opposing us. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition; they're opposing us. If perhaps, if perhaps, maybe that perhaps God might grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. How does that apply to us? We see both. We see that we're commanded. It's something. So, so that translates to the church. That translates to us. As we preach repentance, it's a command. We we have to go out and tell people, look, don't you fear God? God is not, not going to be kind to you much longer. So we preach repentance, but we also are dependent on the Lord. So what do we do? We pray. <laughs> we preach repentance, but we pray like crazy. We pray for the unsaved. We recognize God has to work in the heart. We can't. We can can push. They can see miracles. They can see the kindness of God. They can see the the wrath of God. But unless God works in their heart, they're not going to turn. They're not going to repent. So that that is so important for the church to know. We have to know that. We preach repentance. We pray. Let me ask you, what unsaved people are you praying for? Who are you praying for that's unsaved? I started looking at my list. I'm thinking, you know, I just have a, a small amount, small... Group of unsaved people that I'm praying for. We, we need to be praying. Uh, the Lord works through prayer. And number two, there's another fact about repentance that we need to know. Let me spring this one on you. Repentance can be faked. It, it can be faked. There was a whole group of people in Christ's day that tried to fake repentance. Uh, if you look uh, over at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, Let me start in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to be baptized, now baptism is a sign of repentance. This is talking about John the Baptist here. He was baptizing people, and people were were getting their hearts right before the Lord. They were repenting of their sins. And then he sees the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come, and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you? We're not warning you, you self-righteous men. So we were, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, therefore, if you're, if you're coming, if you're going to be baptized, he says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, their danger, they were in danger of just faking repentance. He said, if you are genuinely repentant, let's see fruit of that. Now, what is fruit? Now, we've been getting some fruit. I've been seeing some fruit on trees. Fruit is is something from the inside that, that comes out. That's something that you see, right? And then we usually label a tree over that. Acorns uh, or a, a, a peach tree or an apple tree or you know whatever tree. We, we will label by its fruit. That's what they're known for, right? Well, these scribes and Pharisees, they were not known for following after God in the right way. They were not known for true repentance. And John the Baptist says, you need to have a life in Consistent. Because it can be faked. It can be faked. Now, along with repentance many times comes shame. It, it, there comes sorrow and self-abasement and, and and even confession of sin. Oh, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Or a humility. But that doesn't mean change. There was a, there was a young man, I remember when I was a youth pastor, there was a young man in my office he was a little older than me, but he was he was young, and uh, his wife had been in earlier, and she said she well she found out she had a, a sexually transmitted disease, and I said well both of them come in and and uh, so he he comes in and he just is all sorrowful, is all just just uh, so humble and sad and shamed, and then one of the first things he said oh well that girl that I had an affair with. She tricked me. She didn't tell me the truth. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm not seeing signs of genuine repentance here. I'm looking for the signs of genuine repentance in the heart. He's just sorry that he got caught. In fact, what happened is that proved to be the case. He did, he continued with the affair after, after a while, after we had even, after we had confronted him. There has, to be, there has to be some fruit of repentance. There has to be some evidence that you've genuinely changed. There has to be a turning, right? It must produce change, change in our life. I have a, a young man that comes into my office about every six months. And it's kind of interesting. He, he comes in and he's not from our church. He's really not from this area. But he comes in and he sits down and he confesses all kinds of stuff to me. I mean, and I and I, I look at him, and I, I say, look, you know that's good, but you ha- there has to be evidence of genuine repentance. And I know that uh, many of the you know the, the Catholic Church kind of sees this differently. You can go in and confess these things to the priest, and just kind of go out and live like you want to live, and then go back and confess it again. And that's that's not that's not genuine repentance. That's not real signs of repentance. If I'm going down this road or this road, and I realize I'm on the wrong road, what do I do? I turn around. I don't just keep on this road and say, ah, I wish I wish I wasn't going down the wrong road. No, I turn around. I turn around. That's the example. That's the illustration. Well, how does this relate to us as a church? We have to be aware that people will fake repentance. We have to just be aware of that. In fact... We have to be aware of our own selves. Are we sorry many times just because we got caught? Or do we hate sin? Does that touching the stove, does that cause us to recoil and, and turn away from it and say, I'll never do that again. I've learned my lesson from that. Or, or do we just keep going down the same road? Or do we just fake repentance? Do we just, oh, He's real humble. Or he confesses it; it doesn't change. He confesses it, so we have to be aware of that. We have to be very careful of that. We just have to watch our own selves. We have to be careful with other people and and hold people to accountable uh, accountable as well. Let me give you one more, and we'll we'll wrap this up. This is just an interesting thing that we find in Scripture: is that repentance. Uh, or Christians are not necessarily called to repentance. Now let that sink in for a little bit. We're not necessarily called to repentance as Christians. We're called to confess our sins. Now, if you remember uh, let me read first John chapter 1 verse 9, just remember this, if we confess our sins, now that's what we're called to do. We're never called to repentance. We're just called to confess it. Because, look, if I'm going down this road and I've already turned, I've already repented, and I'm going down the right road, I may not like the road I'm going down, but I'm going down the right road. I may stop and I may, I may look around and say, Ah, oh, do I really want to go to this church? I may question, but I keep going. And what I do with that then is I confess it. And I confess it. And sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do. That's the hardest thing. Just admit what we are doing. Admit what we have done. The word confession here means to agree with God. We see things the way God sees it. I've used this illustration. I've used the illustration of a dirty diaper. I mean, that's exactly what it is. You you handle kids long enough and you have to change diapers. First of all, you smell the dirty diaper. And then when you open that thing up, you see that, you just recall it, you smell it, and it's just just nasty. You do. And you, you don't want to be around that. And that's what we've done with our salvation. With our salvation. So we're not talking about the general direction of our life anymore. If we sin, it should be an accident it should be a, a tripping the bible calls you know falling short or or a stumbling the bible will call it so what we have to do is we have to back up and say and we can be objective about our sins we can as believers we can do that we can realize that we're wet think about that as fish as unbelievers as believers am sorry. Right. we we can recognize that we are we are wet we are sinful people and then we can just say okay god i see how you I see how you look at that sin. I smell that. That is putrid to me. I recoil from that. I, that is wrong. And so what I have to do is just confess that. Now, let me show you an example of this. In Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Now this is this is really kind of the basis of the Christian life. Now this is where Paul goes after the passage that I read in verse seventeen. We'll skip down to verse twenty two. That in reference to To your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you renew, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new self. There's three elements there. Now, we can look objectively at our sin. We can see that we're reading God's word and we see, hey, I should not sin. You're right, God. I see God's Word. I see it against my life. And I line that up and I say, hey, that's what I'm doing. And then I can objectively say, you know what? I see you the way you see that, God. So I'm going to stop that. I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to change my thinking about that. And I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to do what is right. That presumes already changed the life. An already repentant life. It's just looking objectively at our sin. Now think about that. Is does that make up your life? Does that make up your life? Your attitudes, your words, your habits, your actions, the things that you do habitually, what does that say? What does that say about you? Can you objectively say Look, I see what Scripture says about my sin, and I hate it. I agree with God about it. And so I'm going to renew my thinking, change my thinking about my sin, and then I'm going to do the right thing. Now, John, or Paul gives us three examples here. Look at verse 25. Therefore, laying aside, falsehood speak truth. Now, that's, that's the process here. We look at Scripture, and we say we realize, God, I realize I'm a liar. I I lie. I just so casually just throw out falsehoods out there. I just so casually lie to people to try to save my own self or to to save face. I just so casually lie. And I read through Scripture and I realize that. And I say, that is wrong. I see how you see that now, God. I don't want that in my life. And so I change my thinking, my whole paradigm shifts, and I begin to think, okay, I don't want to speak falsehoods anymore. I want to speak the truth. When is a liar not a liar? When he's speaking the truth. When he's speaking the truth. And so I have to establish new habits, new attitudes, new behavior. And just thinking through, okay, God, help me to matter what, speak the truth. Let me give you another example. He says, "Be angry, be angry, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger." Now, think about that one. When was the last time you were angry? He says, "Don't be angry. Don't be angry and sin. And the way you you uh, vent your anger is, is sinful. Don't do that. What do we do? We we confess that. We get that out. I encourage people: a soft answer turns away wrath. You want to have an argument before bed? All right, go ahead. But let me tell you: a soft answer." turns away wrath. You can pull that anger back. You can control that. Another example that Paul gives is verse 28. He says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will be able to have something to share with those who are in need. Now, a thief. Who becomes a Christian? He turns the direction of his life is turned and going down the right road now. But he still has his gun, and he still has his uh, his mask, his his hoodie, where he would go in and rob banks. He still has his black overcoat and his all of his uh, all of his notes that he slips to tell. He has all this paraphernalia, and he realizes, hey, I can't rob banks anymore. You've heard this illustration. I can't rob banks anymore. It's against what God says. I realize, God, what you see about that, I see what you think about that, and I've got to change my thinking on that, and so I've got to get rid of my face mask and my hoodie and my dark clothes, my gun, and and I've got to start what? What does it say? I've got to replace that by working, laboring, so that I will have a give, so I have money and be able to give to other people. And that's when a thief has changed. That's when a thief has genuinely repented. It's a process. He's already gotten the direction of his life, going down the right road. He sees what Scripture says about it, and he gets rid of it, changes his mind, and he does the right thing. Now that, folks, is the process of the Christian life. We should be doing that every day, every day. Every time that we're exposed to our sin, do we recognize this is what God sees about our sin. This is the way God sees it. I've had to deal with this in my own life, my own family sometimes. I will say things that are just plain stupid. I'll say things that I shouldn't have said. Say things out of anger. Say things that are just not true. But I'm just trying to poke just trying to jab. Just trying to hurt the other person. Have you ever done that? Okay, it's just me. No, I think we all have. You know, I think we all have. We, we can be vindictive sometimes. And, but can we step back and evaluate our life and say, you know what? That is wrong. That is just flat out wrong. Take the emotions out of it. And say, you know what? I need to be a better dad. I agree with you, God. The way I'm living my life is not good. And I confess that. And I get that out. And I don't just stop there. I say, Lord, now what can I replace that with? What can I replace those jabs with? Those hurtful, I I didn't say anything bad. didn't say anything wrong. But my attitude was there, right? And what can I do to shift that? And what does Scripture say? He goes on to say, verse, uh, I think it's verse 29. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Only words which is good for edification. Instead of tearing other people down, instead of tearing my wife down, instead of jabbing and twisting the knife, I pull it back and say, Sweetheart, how can I help you? What can I do to to heal this situation? What can I do to build you up? Now, that's that's genuine change. That's what we want. As believers, that's what we're looking for. John Owens, I appreciate what he says, if you are fighting with sin, you are alive. (laughs) He goes on to say, take heart. He says, but if sin holds sway unopposed you are dead no matter how living this sin makes you feel take heart in battled saint that's us every day what we're doing is we're going to battle with sin in our own life with our own minds I'm not going to do those things I'm going to build other people up I'm not going to lie I'm going to tell the truth I'm not going to steal I'm going to give that's the that's the believer's life. And you see how that one element, folks, changes the whole dynamic of a church. If you take that out of the church, if you take that out of the, a group of people that claim to be a church, you, you have to wonder, are they a church? Do they cease being a church if they don't have the right kind of understanding of their own salvation and repentance? Take this out of their life? And you just have a bunch of unsaved people just butting heads and just trying to keep things organized. But once you put repentance in, people genuinely dealing with sin, people that hate sin, people that have touched that stove or smelled that dirty diaper, people who know their own sinfulness and we recoil from it. We back away and we say, we don't want that. So a genuine church is sensitive to sin. And we may confront that sin in your life. We may warn you about that sin. We may even have to church discipline you. Those are characteristics, folks, of a church that understands repentance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is a sobering topic to to speak on a day of a picnic. But Lord, it's from Your Word and we thank You. We're just going through these terms of salvation and Lord, it's convicting to our own heart. I have to think about how I live in light of the truth that I've been exposed to this week in studying this. Lord, help us to be consistent. Help us to be consistent with our lives. Help us to not try to fool anybody about this repentance thing. But we just confess, yes, I'm a sinful person. I know that. We just keep going. We keep moving forward. We keep doing the right thing. Lord, it's, we recognize that it's in the battle and that we see our own life, that we see spiritual life. And we thank You, Lord, for just exposing us to our own sinfulness. We would not care. We would not even know. We would be blind. We would be in darkness if it wasn't for You and granting repentance to us. Thank You for that being a component of Of spiritually alive people who are in the church. Now, Lord, I pray that you would bless the remainder of our day. Just enjoy, allow us to just enjoy one another. Thank you so much for the food, those who prepared it for us. May it strengthen our bodies. But, Lord, may we enjoy the fellowship and the fun together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.